Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Hello, good evening. Where's all the cheering and the applause, Mr. Real? Yeah, I pushed the button, it turned red, and nothing happened. So, (laughs) how are you doing, RFM? I am fine, thank you. I'm just going to imagine that I can actually hear all the applause from all the people who are watching right now. (sighs) How many are there, by the way, Mr. Real? I'm showing 123 people currently watching. Most of them are from the YouTube channel where 106 people are checking it out. And uh, we've got a few on Facebook. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. And what are all their addresses and phone numbers? Can you tell us that too? Say that again. And what are all of their addresses and phone numbers? Can you I don't tell have us that, that but I've got their social security numbers and the birth date <laughs> of their firstborn. <laughs> Perfect. That's all we need. Uh-huh. Well, we have a very, very special episode tonight. And uh, we want to get right into it because there's a lot of ground to cover before we're through miles to go before we sleep. This is episode 60 titled The Unmasking of Maven. Now, most of you who have been paying any kind of attention for the last month or so have noticed there's a new addition to the Mormonism Life team. Her name is Maven. She's amazing. She's, uh, well, there's a lot of adjectives I could use, but let me let me be real right now, okay? If that's okay with you, Bill, if I'm real for a second. You get to be real. Maven is <laughs> articulate. She's intelligent. And she has a vast body of knowledge related to Mormonism, which I find uh, wonderful. And uh, for instance, I was talking with her on the phone this morning, and I mentioned a quote from Elder Holland, I believe it was. And uh, Maven says, oh, is that from this talk? And she names the talk. And I went, oh, yeah, that's what it's from. She knew the name of the talk, even though it's years old. So this is the kind of eidetic memory that Maven has. I'm really building no. it up here. <laughs> you're, just, you're ruining it. I know. You're supposed to undersell I, no pressure. so that I look no. good. <laughs> there is absolutely I, I no pressure nailing. tonight. Yeah, I think he's nailing it. When we brought you on board, you had offered to essentially manage the show and to help us put things up behind the scenes. But what RFM and I learned really quickly is you do have a very good grasp of Mormonism. And uh, it has done nothing but add to... Uh, our ability to kind of carry out the program. And so we're super pleased with you as an addition. Thank you. This is my favorite part of every week. Awesome. Mine I too. love being a part of it. Mine too. Look at wow. that. <laughs> we have unanimity. It must be revelation. But seriously, folks. So here's the deal. Tonight, we're going to have a special unmasking of Maven. That's the title of tonight's show. It's episode 60. Today's date is January 26, 2022. But before we do that, Maven has come up with a very, very fun game, which I don't think I'd ever heard of before. But it's a way of getting to know somebody that you don't really know. And I think it's called Two Truths and a Lie. Is that right, Maven? Yes, that's correct. Can you run us through this or were you going to do that, Bill? Well, I'm going to add the first one on and we're going to see how this works. So I just clicked to put it into the thread. 
And Perfect. Okay, so there's three statements. Two of them are true about me. One of them is the lie. So you guys need to pick which one is the lie. So, um, and and Bill's going to make sure to mix them up, right? So that's not always like the same one. That's oh, yeah, the lie. it's definitely okay. in. I got that. The third, I got that one. One. The third one is always the lie. <laughs> um, okay, so. Um, Did the first one show up in, read the, these. in the chat? It's it showed up and I was going to actually go from there, but that's OK. Um, so basically, here's the three. Um, I'm one of a few Westerners who've been able to go inside Dome of the Rock. Um, I studied New Testament under Stephen Harper and I participated in an archaeological dig in Israel. Mm. Well, all three of those sound like lies to me, but you're oh. saying that two of them are true. So I messed up your your layout there, Bill. So two of them are true. Let me wow. uh, No, I can't. Or, <laughs> yeah, I can get rid of that. Give me a second. Okay. Here. So there this is go. Dome of the Rock. This is this is in Jerusalem. Um, if people didn't know what that was. And so, yeah, um, right now uh, it is only open to Muslims, but there are some exceptions. The question is, am I one of those exceptions that has been in there? Okay. So are people guessing as we speak? Yeah, it looks like I don't I'm only seeing one bar. So I, does that mean that's the most is that the studied under Stephen Harper? That's all I see. So here's Does my that mean that's the winner. Yeah, I don't know this. So here's the other issue we're going to run into. I had seven screens open, each with a different question on it. When I clicked to send the one that I, um, was number one, it instead, <laughs> I don't think sent number one. And then all the other screens that qu the question I typed out is no longer there. So I can that's do okay. these, but it's going to take me a minute. And so if you guys want to have a conversation, I'll let you know when the second one's ready. Well, I'll tell okay, you what. So Let's Austin is saying Stephen Harper's at 44%. Um, but it looks like people are still voting. Is that what I'm seeing here? Yeah, they yeah, probably everybody, are. Everybody, we're going to go through these very quickly. So you're yeah. going to have to be quick on your vote. So go ahead. Can you tell us what the truths are and what the lie is on this question, okay. Maven? Uh, all right. So I did study New Testament under Stephen Harper. He was um, my teacher at the Jerusalem Center the, the year that I went. And what I year did was that, by the way, Maven? Uh, that was 2012. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I did participate just for one day in an archaeological dig, and I found something, a little, a broken knife. So I'm Wait showing my face already. Is should that I you? Go ahead? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, we're not going to show your face until I say <laughs> okay. no, I'm sorry. No, you, we can show your face anytime that you want. What we had decided, everybody, was that we were going to wait to show her face until after this question and answer part of the show. But anytime you want. That's, well, that's you. That's Maven. Yes. And you found a... It's, it? it was a, a piece of a knife, a stone cutting tool. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yep. So um, that, was that when you were studying under Stephen Harper or something else? So it wasn't under... Well, so there was actually a, a BYU alumni who was there um, in Israel participating in this specific dig. Um, if I recall correctly, it's supposed to be the... Um, or supposedly Gath, which I think is the Philistine city that the the giant from, you know, right. David and Goliath, Goliath is from. Maybe, yeah. of course, you don't always know, but it's about that area. Um, uh, yeah, so, so the Jerusalem Center program is open to anyone of any major. So we really had quite a spread, but there were three students who were ancient Near Eastern studies majors. Um, and then I was a cultural anthropology major. So the ancient Near Eastern studies uh, kids, they had actually been invited 
like secretly to go on this dig just for one day with this BYU alumni. They didn't think about me though. But when I had heard about him, I went up to him like during lunch at the center when he visited us. And I was like, is there any way that I could see your dig? And so that's when I was revealed that there was already some students going and I got looped in. So yeah, um, it was good because anthropology, like archeology span is part of that. And I learned that I don't like the archeology span part of, of anthropology. It was, it was really hot and there was a lot of dirt, just a, a lot of dirt. I understand that that's a common pickup line in Jerusalem. Can I see your dig? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's stuff all over the place. So you got to yeah. be careful. You got to be careful. So <laughs> I'm guessing then that since you just showed us pictures of you being on a dig, that the lie is that you. Entered I have the not Dome been inside Dome of the Rock, although I was told by um, the Arabic teacher that I probably could. So I think this is. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, if we can put up the next slide. This is me uh, dressed up. Um, I have like an actual, my dad got this outfit because uh, he was in the military and he served in Kuwait for a while. So that's me there on the, uh, I guess, yeah, far left. Um, so my teacher said like if I wanted to attempt to go in, I, I would probably be able to do it. But I didn't dare. I, I was afraid of starting an international war. Oh, well, yeah, that could happen. You know, I like this picture because everybody looks so happy. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to put up anybody's picture that, that doesn't know that they're going to be on this show. So, yeah, I understand. I understand. I appreciate okay. your sensitivity. What's the next so, question? Bill, yeah, are we ready for the next one? I put, a, or are I put you... it up, but it it's not letting me do the polls anymore. And I don't know why. I feel like I'm Gene Rayburn on Match to... Game 77. I am failing miserably at this. I'm in the place where the polls are. It's all grayed out. It won't let me put another poll in. It's, like it's still showing poll. it's active, so maybe you have to end the poll and put them in one at a time. I don't even know how to end yeah. the poll. Sorry, the part of guys. Richard Dawson is being I... played by Bill Real. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to end the poll. That, that does, okay. You're right. That works. So let's... There we uh, go. A little match I'll go ahead and humor. start. So the, the, next, uh, the next three... Um, are all about apostles and prophets. They don't all have a theme. But first one is that I got to shake Gordon B. Hinckley's hand when he visited St. George. Um, I had Richard G. Scott's phone number for a time. And I do have a brief story about uh, meeting Elder Holland. Yeah, and I did put those up as one, two, and three in the comments so people can see that, I hope. Hmm. And while you're working on that, I'll work on the next one. Well, you said you have a brief story about meeting Elder Holland, which sounds to so me tell like the that's, story. it's probably true. Um, otherwise, Very we would have said something skills. factual. Besides of which, I've all, already mm. seen the answer key. This is the way I passed <laughs> psychology in uh, community college was by depending upon the answer key in the back of the book. However, it does sound like that's probably true. So between the other two about having uh, Elder Scott, Richard, Richard G. G. Scott. Mm -hmm. His phone number? Yep. Was it his private phone, and did his wife know? <laughs> oh, just a giggle. Okay. Well, we'll leave that well, there. Well, if I start giving too many details, it'll 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 blow it. But I, I think we can go ahead and go. There's still like a few votes going. Most are saying number one, which I don't remember what order I gave him. Um, that was Gordon B. That Heakley's was Gordon hand. B. Heakley. Okay, that is true. So I think this one also could be easy to guess because uh, I think it, it is known or some people knew. Gordon B. Hinckley was not a touchy person. Um, yeah, so I did see him in St. George, did not shake his hand. I did have Richard G. Scott's phone number. Um, and so I guess I have a story about that too. But I mean, it's, it's, it's not that great. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, it's just... It involved like something going on in my life that I, I don't want to get into, but I just thought, oh man, you know, like if I 
could ask an apostle, like he will tell me the most brilliant answer I've ever heard. And it so happened that Richard G. Scott did like a, a, I think a youth fireside. And so he was like actually there in person. So we all got to go and shake his hand. And so when I shook his hand, I was at the back and I just, I just like asked him, I said, I, I have something, I, a question I want to ask you. Is there a time that I could ask you? And I get really brave on my part. I think I'm really kind of surprised I did it. Um, but he said, yeah. So, and I don't, so I don't remember how I got it. If he like wrote it down and handed it to me, or if I maybe gave him my phone number and he did end up calling me, but we did have a chat. Um, he did not have anything, uh, a brilliant answer to my problem, which of course at the time I was like, you know what, that's okay. Um, I, you, apostles shouldn't have to solve everybody's problems. I, I have, you know, the Holy ghost and the Lord, and, and this is my thing to do. So it's, you know, hubris on my part to think, you know, of doing that. So that's, that's how that turned out. Um, but I did have it and I kept it in my scriptures for a long time, but I think a, a few years after he died, I was just like, ah, why do I have this? And I threw it away, but now I kind of wish I kept it. Anyway, Elder Holland visited the Jerusalem Center while I was serving there. And we were all, um, as students, we were notified that he was coming, but we were also um, threatened by the director to to leave him alone and his family alone because he was there to vacation. And it was supposedly the first time he'd ever been there just for leisure. Uh, Elder Holland was extremely involved in the setting up of the center over there. So he had been there a lot, but it had always been business. Anyway, we all did really well at avoiding Elder Holland and he had a, a table to eat at in the cafeteria. So it was one day during lunch when we were all in there, he stood up and walked over to us and he said, uh, he just said, I just have an announcement to make. Uh, he said, neither me or any of my family have leprosy. We've been checked. We're good. So of course everybody laughs, you know, um, and we all know because nobody was talking to him. And then and that kind of broke the barrier. A few students did end up going up and, and talking to him and chatting with him. So yeah. The, uh, the next one is up there and people think that the receiving a trial version of the COVID vaccine is the lie. Okay. So the other one is that I was married at 18 to a missionary that I promised to wait for when I was 16. And then I was in a wedding in Sri Lanka, right? Yep. I just can't see all three of them. Okay. Yep. Um, so no, that one is true actually. Um, about the trial the trial yes i and i can show when i show my face i can show my uh, uh my vaccine card and i actually just noticed today that it says at the top that i was a trial participant i thought it was the same vaccine card everyone else had but just the different formula on it but anyway um yeah i i did not get married at 18. Um, i was dating a missionary when i was 16 uh, or a pre-missionary he was about to go on his mission um uh, but i at this point i it seemed like a bad idea. I had just turned 16, so I'd only been for a few months when I before I started dating this guy. And it, it seemed like a bad idea to stop dating at 16, wait for a guy to come home, and then get married at 18 right out of high school. So I passed on that opportunity. And then I do have a picture of the uh, the Sri Lankan wedding. This is just me, though, and the sari that I wore. Of course, we had to modify it because normally it would be showing my stomach, but, you know, modesty and right. garments. So um, you, don't, you don't have to be sorry, Maven. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, a little East Indian humor. <laughs> but this was not yes. your wedding then. It was not my wedding. It was my friend's wedding. Okay. Wow, so this was my really bridesmaid great. dress. I did not think I would be able to pull off orange that well. I was really upset when I first saw it, but it, it, it turned out okay. You did great. By the way, orange is my favorite color. There you go. Um, we have the next one up. Yeah, the next one okay. is up. And so far, the lie is that you are a state champion of Japanese speaking. 
All right. So that one is actually true. Um, uh, the different colleges, there's a you know, state speaking contest and there's two there's a beginner category and an advanced one and i've never gotten to the point of advanced so my japanese language skills are extremely poor they were poor 10 years ago and they're even worse now but the beginning division involved memorization so i just had to memorize a a japanese story and so um yeah, so I did. I was uh, the Snow College representative. I was up against, you know, U like University of Utah and BYU, which of course have huge language programs. And Snow College is this little teeny podunk, you know, <laughs> little community college in the middle of nowhere. And um, yeah, nope, I, I took it from the big guys and that was fun. I thought I was kidding about the eidetic memory. It's, I don't have an eidetic memory. I really, really don't want that you expectation have a pretty good out memory. there. <laughs> I remember the first line of it, and I cannot remember the rest. But right. I, I served a two-year mission in Japan, and my Japanese skills aren't that great either. RFM and I have not talked together in Japanese, and um, I know on my part, I don't think we can. Mina-san, konbawa! <laughs> konbawa, mina-san! <laughs> okay yes. and this was something somebody asked if i was an anime geek i'm familiar with a lot of anime like because of my familiarity like with japanese culture i've i've been there a couple times but I, i'm not really uh very big into it so but i have heard i've been recommended to watch boku no hero academia and i just haven't gotten to it yet okay. um yeah and so the public bathhouse that's something that's done um when you're referring to these, uh, Maven, could you just uh, flesh them out as to what it is that you're talking about? Only because a lot of people uh, will be either watching this and can't see the questions or they'll be listening to it on audio yes. format. Okay. So a bathhouse. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could talk about this too. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a public bathing house. Um, so in the in Japan, you bathe before you get in the bath. So, um, so at a public place, I mean, you go in and you're, you're fully naked, but you wash yourself and then there's like saunas or pools that you relax in. So I, I had studied abroad in Japan and I went to one even as a, a TBM, um, which I, I'm also surprised that I, I had the temerity to do at the time. Hmm. It was a good yeah. experience. Maybe that could be a story for another day, maybe, but not even a poncho at the bathhouse. They give you a little tiny towel, um, but it like it doesn't cover much. So you you have to pick at do I want to cover top or bottom, you know? Yeah. And then after a while, you're like, it, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, <laughs> really doesn't of, matter. For some of us, a tiny towel is all we need. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, just FYI, the, the last one? one is the last one's oh. up, but the second to okay. last one I still got to put up. So the people are saying that. Uh, you were that you being in the ward of one of the original three Mormons is the lie. Okay. Um, so should we say all three are of we, them? Are we first? saying three Mormons? Is this like midnight Mormons? Uh, I no, think it's Saints Unscripted now, but it used to be three Mormons. But it is like Quaker oh, right, was on right. there. Yeah. Okay, that that uh, that program, right? I remember now. Um, okay, so the so if I'm getting this sectioning right, it's that I, I served in the ward of one of the original hosts of the Three Mormon Show. Um, I performed in the Manti pageant, uh, or I'm a licensed security guard. Uh, if if Cardin uh, or any of the Midnight Mormons would like some protection in the future, yeah. And, <laughs> and which one was the lie? The, they I, were going I served with in the, the ward. Yeah, they were going with the Three okay. Mormons. Yep. I 
I am really awesome at this game. I would be totally <laughs> winning because that is true. Um, I won't say who it was. Ed, Ed, like he's not been on the show in a while, so, so it's Quaku. <laughs> I won't Bingo. say. No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> say no more. On my mission, um, I served, but uh, but he was a little guy. I think he was twelve um, when I was there. He, he probably would not now, remember me at all. They're all a lot bigger now. Yeah, um, I am a licensed security guard, so that offer is a real offer. If the Midnight Mormons, um, you know, would like my five foot, uh, hundred twenty five pound frame around to protect them, um, I am hireable uh, and licensed legally in the state of Utah for that. I did not perform in the Manti pageant. So that's the lie. Yep. Oh, great. And, and the, then there's one more, the, last one. Yep, the second to last one is up, and I'm just waiting for people to select some things. Okay. Uh, but these are the three where... Yep. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I was going to say, but you go ahead. You go ahead. What What order are they in? But um, you go ahead and do it, Bill. Yeah, I don't know what order. Let me see if it'll... It served in the hometown of the artist Pink, confirmed that the SCMC has a file on you, and you've played the traditional Tahitian drums. And so far, Lucky people dogs. are see people are saying the lie is that the SCMC has a file on you that you know about. And it looks like that's going to stay the one as of right now. Okay. All right. So this one, the, the audience wins. I, I have no idea. Probably not. Oh, I'm surprised. Though. I thought that would have been a good one because of RFM's uh, episode on it. Like, so people should know RFM's got a connection. So he could have found that out. So I figured that he could have been the one to tell me. Yeah, but I'm Somebody's not. Got bikes. I'm not a squealer, Maven. I didn't rat you out. <laughs> well, you wouldn't rat me out, but you could have called and been like, "Hey, do you care who Maven is, <laughs> or do you do, even know who she is?" <laughs> do what you want to Maven, but leave me alone. <laughs> Throw me under the bus. Um, yep, um, I did serve in the hometown uh, as Pink, uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. My mission was Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, um, and then Tahitian drums. I I did do that and i have the uh pictures to prove it there i still have the drumsticks too actually i've got them um packed somewhere but yeah that's uh that's me i did that all that right is great. you do so that. many interesting things <laughs> and you have done so many interesting things in your relatively to me short life thank you you know when you have enough time to think about it like you can really play up almost anything um, so yes, shall we do the big reveal? Shall we? Let's. Drum All roll, right. please. I have to go in my settings here. Oh no, here it is. All right, everybody. Here we go. There she is. Hello. Hello. <laughs> There's Maven. Oh my goodness, I feel it feels so anticlimactic. <laughs> no, no, everybody's loving this. Are you kidding me? Or maybe just because I can't hear like a collective gasp from the audience. Um, but yeah, so I I don't know if anybody is watching the show that does actually know me in real life. Please don't dox me. If you do, I do want to kind of stay maven uh, in these spaces. Uh, but if you do know me, definitely reach out um, so we can connect up again. Uh, and I do have uh, friends here today. And I did I dyed my hair purple just for you guys, just for you this. Did. I've had it. I've had it colors before, so it, it wasn't too big of a deal. But oh, that's um, great. And you did yeah. it because of your avatar that you've been using. Yeah. And then here's my. Uh, so, yeah, the trial so participant. That, yeah. Novavax. It's uh, out in some places, but still not out in the U.S. But I haven't gotten COVID. So I, I don't know. 
I, I guess it's working okay all that I know of. Now. <laughs> I, I have the best one ever. Everyone should sign up for medical trials, I guess. I think, I think I've heard of that vaccine. The reason it's not out in the U.S. is because of the horrible side effects of the trials. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry, everyone in the chat. I can I see my name like highlighted, but I, it's not something I can keep up with now, but I'll definitely read it after. So I appreciate the support. So we jump into the story. Let's jump into the story. By the way, we are there's so much that Maven has to say and so little time. Uh, we don't have seven and a half to nine hours tonight to do it justice. So we're skipping her childhood. She was born in the covenant in an active LDS family. She grew up as an active, observant, and very devout uh, Mormon young lady. Literal believer. Take, and a believer? Literal believer. Literal. Very yeah. literal believer. Oh, absolutely. Um. <laughs> absolutely. And then we're going to get to your uh, coming of age. You're graduating from high school. You have a certain series of events that happen that lead you to question the faith that Initially, you had no questions whatsoever about. Is right. that correct? That's correct. Um, so, so I think should we jump into the temple? Um, sure. We, we can just start there. Um, okay. So I went to the temple to get ready to go on my mission, which was something that I had always wanted to do. Um, so by the time I got there, I'd had friends get married and of course male friends leave and go on missions and, and come back by this time i started to get the sense that it wasn't like the most amazing experience that it, it's taught to you is when you're in young men and young women um and it really troubled me and i at the at first i just judged my friends as maybe not being properly prepared so i really wanted to be prepared and i was determined to have a good time there so i went in with like a super low bar and a really open mind and i just wanted to like just let everything go and it it was a fairly good strategy overall i feel like it went pretty well but there were a couple of parts that were still troubling and continued to be troubling every time i went uh the very first one is that i went in you know before they've made some of the uh some of the most recent changes so um so after you know being a member of the church my whole life and being constantly taught to look forward to making covenants with God at the temple, the very first time that I am standing up and making a covenant, uh, it's to my husband, which I don't even have instead of God. And that was really troubling for me because it's right after the men all covenant with God. And, and I covenant to hearken to my husband who will, you know, who hearkens to God. Um, and so, so that was deeply hurtful, but it's the first time things are going on. So like, you just kind of push it back and keep going. But I did remember feeling very distinctly, just kind of wondering why uh, my heavenly father doesn't want me to covenant with him directly. Why am I getting kind of shuffled off to, again, like somebody that I don't even know who it is yet. Uh, um, so anyway, uh, that was the first one. And then I couldn't help but notice that after the fall, Eve never speaks again the whole time. And even after like its subsequent visits to the temple, I would just, I would hyper-focus on that. I would be watching her the whole time and just thinking about the actress playing her and just thinking like, she does a pretty good job for having a mute part, but still having to be there, like watch men talk around her. She doesn't look bored, but she does, she's not hamming it up too much. Like I, I just couldn't, it just always pulled me out of the video that she never spoke again. Um, which I think is something they've changed now. And then um, the last thing, and this one, like I feel it hurt the most and it hurt the most every time I went back um, was having us veil our faces. Um, it just felt so um, demeaning, I think. And then, I don't know, I just, 
erased i guess that's kind of the way it felt you know and when you look at your side with all the other women and all of us are are veiled um there's just no personality there's no like you know it, we just look like ghosts like literally ghosts but if i look over at the men you can see all their faces they can see everything it's all easy yeah, all um, the men look like bakers <laughs> right but you can at least see their faces you know right, your, right. your face is is who you are. And so, yeah, it, and it almost felt like shameful. Like I, I'm hiding because there's something that's so sacred about this part that like my face would ruin it. That's kind of the feeling that it was, was like, why is this so sacred? Um, I have to cover up for it. And, and the men don't, I really tried so hard so many times to try to like find a reason that was totally cool and okay for that. And I just never could. And I just always ended up feeling really sad. Um, and the one more temple experience, this was just the first time that I went at the very end, um, you know, when I'm in the celestial room with my family and uh, ward members, this uh, this ward member came up with this cute old lady that's been in the ward forever um, and knows my family. She came up to me and she had this like smile on her face and she tells me uh, it's a little bit different than when I went through the temple. And so, yeah, um, so I go different. And she says, yes. And again, this, it still gets me the smile that she had on her face. But she said, when I went through, there were penalties. And I had never heard that before. And I was like, oh. And she said, yeah. And then she mimed him. She said, we used to promise to slit our throat and, and cut open our stomachs. And I just remember being so shocked. And again, like I'm in the celestial room. It's supposed to be like holy and spiritual, but I feel sick and horrified. So my first reaction was that she's lying. That can't be true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, because I just, I guess that's just my reaction. Just, yeah. It was horrific to think that people would promise that. And, this nice old um, lady is lying to me in the celestial room. Right, but, of course, but, that's, but that's what to. I thought. I was yeah. just like, no, I think, um, and I think because I had heard something maybe in the past, I think that kind of after the initial shock, I did realize I, I was like, I think she's telling the truth. And there was someone else. I think it might have been my dad even like standing near me. So he didn't correct me. And so or correct her. So anyway, I just remember just having this moment because then once I thought it was true, I was still horrified by it. So I got to I got to figure out why it's okay. And so there really was just like a, a brain freeze moment where just no thinking happened. And then the way that I solved it in my mind uh, was to just say like, oh, you know, those early saints, they were a little intense sometimes, weren't they? You know, and just kind of like laugh it off. And mm -hmm. that's, that was something that happened my first time going through the temple. So that's how I found out about the penalties. Did you later on talk to your dad and ask him, no. is this true? No. Okay. In the in the very beginning, they even had an extra oath where all the saints promised to get revenge for Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith. That's right. Yeah. I, I do remember learning that later. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so that was that was my temple experience. But overall, again, like I said, like I had like a low, low bar and I just was really trying to be open minded and just go with the flow. So it was oh. I felt like it was OK. So Maven, you had a low, low bar when you went to the temple. Oh, and yeah. Your experience managed to still go under the bar <laughs> yes <laughs> i guess so i guess that's what we're saying yeah um so what's next because i i'm sorry i've got like too many things to look at um okay next i mission. would like okay oh, yes your mission because you are going through the temple for your endowment in preparation for your mission right yes okay so you've been called to philadelphia right yay yes um 
and so i i get ready to go and so well before i went i i was getting a lot of really hateful comments from a lot of elders about sister missionaries just about how much they hated them um and they would never marry one which i had never heard before until right before i was about to go on my mission so that was a little bit weird to me at the time but on my mission or in your um, no this is just right before like in my ward and at, at um at byu i went to byu hawaii so it was just you know, just in my peer group, I'd be like, I'm putting in my papers and guys would be like, "Ugh, don't do that. Really? So I, the younger, yeah, they would the say younger. like, I hated sister missionary. I, w- I will never, I promised myself I will never marry. I return sister missionary. Oh, this, <laughs> is, this is news to me because it's yeah, such an inversion. It was more than women. one. Yeah. Wow. Young it women happened are a trained. lot. Oops, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Young women are trained that they're supposed to marry a return missionary, but apparently there's a prevailing sentiment among the young men that they are definitely not going to marry a return missionary. And I, I have some things that I suspect are, are the case for that. I, I think sisters who serve missions are, are more outspoken or more confident. Um, and so it's not as easy to BS them, but when you've got a return male missionary, who's, you know, learned how to talk the talk and learned the sales tactics and and you've got a fresh, young 19, 18 year old girl. It's someone that's really easy to impress with your spirituality and your experience out in the world, you know, and and you've got the talking skills. It's really easy to do, but you can't do that with a sister that's also served because she's got the same experience and she knows what it's like. And and so you you got to do more than talk the talk. That's that's what I think. You have served with the elders for a year and a half. And so yes, my know, elders on my mission were amazing. I just want to say that. Yes. But so yes. you, so you find out how the sausage is made, if you'll forgive the expression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like my mission overall was pretty good. The previous mission had a lot of, I guess, like what we call the baseball type baptism. So ours was very strict, but I, I think properly focused on, on have genuine converts who were ready um, and and not just trying to go for the numbers. Um, it did always bother me and my companions. Of course, anytime we did have a baptism, we always had to like pull in the elders to do the interviews and, and to actually either do the baptism if there wasn't somebody else in the ward. Um, and it, it, it just, uh, every time there was one, we would always say like, I, I just don't get why, really, why couldn't we do it? Is it really that big of a deal? You know, and we would just be like, oh, well, that's how it is, I guess. And then just um, like move on from that. Um, and then. Um, how did that make you feel? I mean. I I always it was important to me to be faithful. Because it was the most important thing to come out of this life with is to still have your faith. So I would I never wanted to feel too upset about anything uh, because that could lead to offense and dissatisfaction and eventually apostasy. So if I, if I felt uncomfortable or if I felt lesser about anything for being female, I would just push it down and push it out. I didn't want to dwell on it. But you did feel lesser yeah, because you can't it. not feel it. Um, right. So you just have to feel it and then just try to find some place to, to shove it uh, or something to t- distract you from it. Um, that's kind of what you have to do. So, um, do you want me to tell you about, I guess there's my, my first first time like ever really pushing back against someone with priesthood authority over me. Yes, please and tell so, us that story. Because I knew like 
people aren't perfect, of course, like we say. Um, and so I had the belief at the time that even if a priesthood holder was wrong about something, you would still be blessed by following them and you just helping them out as they're gaining their footing and they're, you know, making their own life journey. And that was definitely true for like my district leaders and zone leaders who are young men that are younger than me and have less life experience than me. You know, I, I never pushed back on anything they did, even if I thought it was maybe not the smartest, but you know, I wanted to support them in their priesthood and their, their first attempts at leadership, you know, you go, you got it, you know, like I'm here for you. Right. Um, so, and they were really great and I didn't have any problems until right towards the very end. I, my companion and I were teaching a couple, um, but the, the husband had advanced lung cancer. And so he ended up passing away and, um, I, I was there for it. I, like the moment that it happened, um, he was getting uh, brought home for hospice care because it was just it was to the point where, where nothing could be done anymore. And he had wanted to be at home and um, they just were all set up for it to still be a couple of weeks. But as soon as they passed him over the threshold and I was there holding open the door, um, that's when that he, he stiffened up and he was gone. And so my companion and I, of course, were there with the family just dealing with the the grief because nobody expected it to happen that soon. So his mother, his wife, brothers and sisters, um, we're all just there just listening. And that's one thing I'm really grateful for too. We didn't, we did not try <laughs> to do plan of salvation right then. You know, I just, we just listened um, to them talk about him and tell stories and cry and, and all that. And it was starting to get a bit late. It was getting past curfew. I called my district leaders and I told them, I told them what happened and they were very great. And they were like, we're so sorry, sisters, let us know if there's anything we can do for you. And, you know, don't worry about the curfew. Just tell us when you get home. Um, so everything was fine. But then a few minutes later, I got a call from the zone leaders and they said, where are you at sisters? And so at first I thought maybe something didn't translate correctly. Um, when the district leaders did their phone call to the zone leaders. So I just started explaining what, you know, what happened over again. And, um, my zone leader said, well, Sister Maven, what does the white handbook say? And I just remember being shocked, you know, about curfew. And um, I, I, I said, after a while, I just said, I know what the handbook says, Elder. And um, that was like the first time I've ever... <laughs> I really like pushed back or said something, um, you know, against someone like that. And again, I know it's, it's like someone that was my age, but still, um, I, I just really felt strongly that I was doing the right thing. And so he was trying to get us to go home. And I said, elder, we're not going to stay here all night. You know, we're, we will go home, you know, as soon as we appropriately can, like, this is a special situation. And he tried to argue with me. And so at one point we, I had a really great mission president, um, and so I said, you can call president if you have a problem with this. I, cause I was certain that he would, he would back us up on that. Um, and I don't know if he ever did, if he, I kind of hope he did, cause I know he would have gotten a dressing down. Um, but I think maybe he probably was a bit more bolder with me than with the mission president. So I don't think he ever did call, but anyway, that was the first time I was ever like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm not listening to you. Well, good for so, you. Yeah. Good for you. So, yeah. Uh, you know, zone leader, as much, as much yeah. fun as we're having here with right. the stiff and the grieving family, we're not going to be here all night. Okay. And by the way, I have read the white handbook and it says that you are a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. I could never have at that point. <laughs> but, there are, 
There are several people yeah. in the chat with names that I've never seen in our chat before, and they're all asking questions like, "Where? What city do you live in? And and what areas did you serve your mission in?" And so you can avoid those if you want. But just so you know, there's lots yeah. of people I've never seen before asking personal questions to try. That's to interesting. I did invite from. a few uh, friends of mine to it, but I, I'm not recognizing any names so far. Um, yeah. But that's okay. And I, th I think there's just not a lot of time, but. But I appreciate everybody's curiosity. Maybe we'll get there someday. Um, yeah, get used to disappointment. <laughs> All right, should we move on Odds to BYU? I, I know there's so much stuff. And yeah, let's go on to BYU and let's hear about okay. this shelf of yours. Okay, so I um, after the mission, I return to school. I go to um, BYU Hawaii and I start studying the cultural anthropology program. And so that's where things really start getting added to my shelf. But at the same time, I'm also just reinforcing it with the worst apologetics, but they're working for me at the time. But you can't study anthropology and, and turn, you know, a magnifying glass on different cultures without doing it to your own. So it was just a, it was a very different curriculum because it's the first time that we, I was ever in it like a, an environment, a church environment, no less, where these kinds of things could be looked at and poked at with not just like the most faithful view, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, yeah, we were just able to talk a lot more objectively than anybody in the church ever really could usually. And that Nathan, became the norm for us. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but could you give us one example of what you're talking about, studying the culture of a different group and that informing your view of Mormonism? Sure. Um, uh, one example is just starting to see just how much uh, politics and history and just the, the culture of what else is going around. I always thought of Mormonism as this very pure thing revealed as the way that God revealed it and all of the values we have because God revealed them. Uh, but then I kind of started to realize that a lot of them have to do with the values of early Americans in Joseph Smith's time, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the liberty or freedom, you know, um, that. And then also politics that I started to realize like, uh, Republican politics had a lot to do with the uh, positions in the church. And I, again, I still had reasons why I, I could make it okay, um, but I could at least start to separate it out. I used to, I used to think, and I was taught literally like a, a good Mormon is a Republican. Like you, you can't be a Democrat and be a good Mormon. Um, they were like tied together. So I started to separate them out. Um, another example is just reading about kinship models and that the nuclear family is not the thing that's been around in history forever, that it's actually a relatively new construct and concept. Um, and then also patriarchy, um, the idea of it maybe not being so good uh, for a lot of reasons. I remember reading an article about it and uh, just talking about how like uh, abuses are, are more common and hierarchy is more common and, and this, they're less egalitarian than matriarchal societies. I remember reading this article and just being like, man, this is, this is making patriarchy look bad you know <laughs> but like how could it be because i i everything's patriarchy in the church that was always a very good thing like patriarchal blessings you know right yeah so like it's was, it was stuff like that that kind of you know so we were able to talk about culture i mean kind of in a way that like post-mormons are able to do a lot better than believing mormons but i was a believing mormon but I, again i was just in a, a, a context where everyone was agreeing and was okay with it um but it would be funny because uh, everyone would have or not everyone but i i would say almost every class at least once a semester would have someone where you could tell something hit a nerve in them uh, the testimony nerve um 
Oh, the church. <laughs> Hello, Elder Dykes. Here's my old friend from the go. SCMC, recently retired. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> he does monitor the program. I go. told you so. Actually, he's retired. Somebody else is now filling his shoes. Oh, okay. So you don't have the connection anymore. No, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I forgot I what he was I, one I was of saying. The, uh, happiest general authorities to retire in recent history. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. No, I, I, I'm off track. So I'm trying to remember. I, w- I had asked you <laughs> about a specific example. You gave us, right. I think. Three. Oh, I know. So I remember where I was going cultures. with it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I, um, so what would happen is everyone had moments where something hit a little too close to the testimony. And so we would be in class having a discussion about patriarchy or kinship or something like that. And then all of us, someone would raise their hand and they would start bearing testimony. This was a fairly regular occurrence. And we all knew what was happening and what we all happening? just kind of let it happen. It just, it was cognitive dissonance. We, we knew that that's what that person was going through. And I was that person too. Also, there were times where I was just like, look, this is, you know, this is tough. I I'm learning this and I know, but, but as a, I know Joseph Smith is a prophet and I believe the book of more, you know, and all of my professors were all asked, uh, about their testimonies too, because there are times where like you would just learn stuff that you, you would realize this is troubling information. This doesn't quite comport with the narrative. Uh, but here I, I'm at BYU learning this, you know, I'm in a church context. I, I have a believing professor. So, and you know, and they're here teaching this. So there's gotta be a way to make it okay. Um, so yeah, so that's, it, was, it was fairly common for them to be asked like, how, how do you make this okay? That's not how we asked it. Um, but we always knew what was being asked. But the question usually was, was like, what does this mean? And we all inherently knew what that question was, which was how do I, can you, I'm having trouble reconciling something. Professor, can you please tell me how you do it? That's basically what it was. So I there's, see. yeah, that program. Um, and then can I just say one thing really great about BYU Hawaii is that it is just way more diverse. So my classes had a lot more diversity than what is what available at Provo. So that was a really great thing about it. Well, that's um, good. This, I've never been there. I thought you were going to say the great thing about BYU Hawaii is it's in Hawaii. It's in Hawaii. <laughs> that is also great. It is very chill. It's the most chill out of all the, by, by necessity. Um, but it always seems like, uh, but there's always kind of a conflict between, I mean, I guess this is every university everywhere between students and administration, but I feel like it was um, deeper at BYU Hawaii because the students were culturally diverse and administration almost always, you know, were white, higher up, wealthy people from Utah that would be imported in. So there was always like extra kind of culture clashes um, and they would always be in for a few years, just enough to maybe start getting it. And then you, you bring a new white guy in from Utah you know, to, right. to serve in a, another uh, portion. Um, and they would occasionally try to crack down on flip-flops like at Idaho, <laughs> but that's just not going to happen in Hawaii. You can't, you can't do that. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. You'd have to kick out half the student body. Um, so. Was it while you were at university, uh, excuse me, BYU Hawaii that you served a, or studied abroad at the Jerusalem center? Yeah. It was in the middle of that time that I, I went to Jerusalem and then, and then came back to did, graduate. Did you have some additional photos of that? Of Jerusalem? Yes. Or did we already see those? I um I don't remember if I have some more on my I didn't put a lot together. Um I have some BYU Hawaii photos, but not a lot of Jerusalem. Because a, a lot of my Jerusalem photos are, are, have other people in them. So 
Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We Fair can enough. put up Hawaii though. Um, what were the, uh, the other things in brief that started adding weight to your shelf? So there's a program that was just started um, at BYU Hawaii called the Conflict uh, or Peace Building and Conflict Resolution Program. And that one, I learned about cognitive dissonance there. Um, and the first year of that program is all self-referencing. So I, I thought it would be like, here's how we can like get people to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and say, can't we all just get along, you know? Um, but it was intensely introspective. We really, really got down really deep and in class discussions you, you just have a whole classmate like um you know class full of classmates who are holding you accountable so it's one thing to learn about cognitive dissonance on your own and try to work through and kind of come up with things but to have 30 students that will not let you get away with excuses um it, it could just be really jarring sometimes so i would leave those classes especially that first year just like mentally exhausted and and just really i'm not the great person that i think i am you know um there's a lot of things I do that contribute to conflict and a lot of things that, you know, I, I like to think I'm brave, but I realize I'm a coward about, you know, things like that. It was, it was a really intense program. So it really, I gave me the, the, I, you know, the mental blocks, or I guess the, the founding, I'm getting my words mixed up, but the foundation, right. To really eventually start to unravel things. But at the time I was still fine. I, when I graduated BYU Hawaii, even with the cultural anthropology program and the peace building and conflict resolution program, still very strong testimony and the Jerusalem center too, despite the things I learned there. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, there I'm going um, from your outline. You mm -hmm. had briefly thumbnailed just a few more issues that added weight and they're mainly social issues. I think. Um, Yes. And that's adding weight to your shelf, by the way, just to be clear. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was definitely. I just didn't like to I didn't like to notice things that made me uncomfortable about the church. Um, and so at BYU Hawaii, it was more apparent, you know, the racism um, that could happen and, and what other students experiences were. I got to hear so many more. I just really started to realize that that Mormon culture wasn't just like again, like the revealed culture that I thought it was, but it's white culture. It's white conservative Utah culture, and it's getting imposed on other people. And so it's things like that. Uh, the Polynesian Culture Center is also right there next to the campus. And uh, they they pull in a lot of students uh, from the poor countries, from the islands, from the Philippines to work there and they get their education for free. Um, so I, you know, in some ways I feel like it is a really great program that, that give students a chance at an education that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise, but there's also some kind of exploitation feel to it. Um, if you, uh, the students really couldn't complain a lot because they were constantly being told like how great it was, how lucky they were to be there. You know, that it's, it's all the generosity of the church and donors and things like that. Um, so yeah, and if you don't like it here, there's plenty of people you know, from your country that would love to be in your shoes and to have this opportunity that you have. It's just things like that that would just kind of like, you know, make you feel unsettled sometimes. Um, but then of course, I, the, the normal things that, that everyone else, um, just LGBTQ issues, um, uh, the ordained women movement started to happen actually towards the end of my graduation. So after that, but that was something that added uh, some weight to me. Um, is that where you're at, like in the outline? Yes, the LGBTQ okay. issues, racism, yes. ordained women movement, and the policy of the exclusion policy of exclusion. 2015. Yes. Yeah, that ha so I was graduated at that point. I did. I just want to jump back to Jerusalem really, really quickly, 
we studied uh, like the New Testament and the Old Testament courses were not like the Institute courses at the regular BYUs. They were intense and they were a lot more scholarly. So I was learning the documentary hypothesis. I learned what biblical exegesis meant. I used learning about, uh, I mean, it's an ancient Near Eastern studies program. So we were studying the Epic of Gilgamesh and all of these uh, stories, origin stories where, you know, that are obvious sources for the Bible. Again, at the time, I could justify it in my mind. Uh, another thing that really kind of stood out to me when I was there was how how little evidence there was for a lot of the uh, biblical stories. I had just assumed and taken for granted that they were fact and known fact and that there were there's a lot of evidence for them. So that was one thing that I realized when I was there was that it was not nearly as much as I had thought, but that was okay. That just increased my testimony of the restoration. That's why we need the book of Mormon. And that's why we need prophets. It, it, it's all, it's all okay. It's okay. Everything's okay. It, it all holds up. So I, I was fine with it, but that was something that, that did end up kind of coming back later. So. Did you hear about a little known statement by elder Dallin H Oaks? about uh, not apologizing, that the church doesn't oh, yes. apologize. And if you heard it, which I think you did, yes. how did you feel about it? It it really bothered me because of the peace building program. I knew that apologies are a critical key component, uh, especially when there's a lot of, um, if we're talking about like generational hurt and trauma for things, major scales, even if you're not the person directly responsible for it, it goes a long way and is really a critical step in starting the healing process. Um, so, and there was a, a lot of power to apologies and this is good for everybody. And, and I think, I, I, I really think you probably have done this in your marriages where maybe you really don't think you were wrong, but you apologized anyway. And that was still Never. the right thing to do. Not once. <laughs> Me neither. That never That's happened on my mission or anything. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it, it really bothered me because I knew that that was not a true principle. And um, again, at the time, you know, nobody's perfect and Dallin H. Oates can't know everything. So maybe this is one of the things that he doesn't know. So, I, but it, it bothered me. It always did. And then, um, um, Jonathan Streeter, if we bring this up, he had uh, he had done the really well crafted kind of fake apology letter that he he crafted to look like it was official, you know, officially from the church. Yeah, and I remember. A lot of members fell for it and really thought, you know, that it was that it was genuine. And I just remember just seeing the title and just starting to see it pop up on on my feed, like on Facebook. I knew, I knew it wasn't. I knew it couldn't be because I knew that like. Dallin Oaks was right. The church would not apologize ever. They were not going to apologize for it. So it really so gave it, me this sinking feeling. I was embarrassed by that. So it wasn't the format or anything else about this fake apology. that Jonathan I hadn't even Streeter read it did. yet. Brilliantly done, by the way, I believe. It was but well done. Yeah, it was, it was because you just knew that the church would never apologize. That led you to the conclusion it must be a fake. Right. And ah. then I was put in this weird place where, like, I wanted to tell my friends, like, don't spread this. Because I knew an anti-Mormon had to write it, obviously. So I was like, why are they, how, how is it that they're not seeing this for what it is? Um, but then, but I, I didn't because I didn't want to be like, this is fake because the church would never apologize. Like, I'm, I'm saying something bad. It was a really uncomfortable feeling to be in. Um, and so I did actually read it because I was like, so many people are like, are they really falling for this? And so I read it and... It really was well done. It it 
encompassed a lot of principles that I had learned about. And so it's better than the church ever could have done. That was another thing I realized. If the church ever did, it would be like a we're sorry, feelings were hurt kind of a thing. Not yeah. not we're sorry, you know, just, you know, it was just so well done. And there were, there were a few call outs like in there where I, I was like, this is an anti-Mormon for sure. It's, you know, like, um, but yeah, it was just, it's just, it was another cognitive dissonance kind of moment where I was just really uncomfortable. I was like, why is it that an anti-Mormon who's like fighting against the church and trying to tear it down, why can they write a better, more healing letter that the real church won't do? It was troubling. That is just one slice of the brilliance of that fake apology, I think. It highlights so many uh, things about the church which are not good. Right. And then the policy of exclusion. Um, I was aware of the analogy of a shelf because it is from a, a, a faithful talk. Um, yeah, by the way, a lot I of people don't that, know that. I, I know that yeah. uh, from the 1970s when I joined the church, that the metaphor of a shelf where you put doubts or questions, I'm sorry, right. where you put questions or things you don't understand, that came from church leaders. Somebody's asking if you'd ever been to Angie's Ice Cream in, I think, Hawaii. Um, there's Angie's and then there was, um, it's closed now, but it, I'm, I'm embarrassed now that I'm forgetting it. It was a Japanese name on the North shore. I did not go to Angie's that I recall. Okay. So yeah, if someone could put it, it starts with an M that was the, that was the ice cream shop that like everyone went to. <laughs> um, but yeah, for, if we're going back, um, when the policy of exclusion came out, I, I knew that that couldn't be right. I, I, I just knew, I knew in my heart that it was wrong. And so, but I, I jumped on the policy train cause I just wasn't ready. I, I've, ha I've had so much stuff. I, I, there's so many points at any time in my life that I, I could, that could have been the final straw. Um, but if you're not ready, you're not ready. And I still wasn't ready. And so I tried to say something about the policy to somebody. Um, and they were like, no, um, elder Nelson said it was revelation because he was, he was still an apostle then and not the prophet. And that really troubled me. And, uh, and they said, like he said it at BYU Hawaii. And so and I never looked it up because I didn't want to, <clears throat> because I was afraid that if I looked it up um, and, and saw, and I, and maybe I could have, if I had, and if I watched those words come out of his mouth, that it was a revelation, then I would have known. Whereas I, because I didn't watch it, I still had some plausible deniability <laughs> that that actually happened. This other person's mistaken, but I'm not going to look to make sure because I knew if Elder Nelson did say that, that it was, there was revelation, then I would know then that Elder Nelson was lying uh, and I couldn't face that. Um, so I, that was definitely like shelf. I, I am putting this on the shelf. I don't know what to do with this. To push it out, push it out. Yeah, but things so were starting to get really difficult for me at this time. Yeah, so I was embarrassed to be. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I just want to insert a few words every now and again so people won't forget whose show this is. No, I'm kidding. I kid because I love. No, but it's so interesting to me because this is so much what I did, which is you are actually at the University of Hawaii, or that's your uh, alma mater. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the simplest thing in the world to go on to the church website and look up this talk. Mal Malia's ice cream? No, it's a Japanese name. I... Was it Yamamoto? Or maybe it was. No, not. That's a maybe? little world. That's a little Pearl Harbor humor. Think, yeah, it was. It started <laughs> with an M. Funny it about was, it. Somebody's got to know it. 
Somebody's okay, not Yamamoto. Matsumoto's. Yeah, it is Matsumoto's. Ryan Bingham. I don't know if anyone else put it in there, but I, I just saw yes. Ryan. Yes, Ryan Matsumoto's. Bingham. Thank Matsumoto's you so much. Yes, with azuki beans. Just kidding. I didn't, it took me a while to get used to those. Ryan, <laughs> for your participation, you have won a wooden nickel. It is there you there. go. Cool. What kind of beans is that? Fava beans? Um, no, azuki beans, the, the red beans. I don't even Come know. Come on. You those, yes, you, you do. Those. They were all over in, in Japan, everywhere. Like if you, you if you had a, like a bean like, like a, a roll that had beans in the middle, are you, are you joking with me or I don't know if you're being uh, facetious? It's been a long <laughs> no, time for me. If you had a filled bun and it had like a red paste in it, it was those beans. Okay. I well, just maybe I did then, and I just ate them unknowingly. I probably ate a lot of things unknowingly. We we need to we need to take a trip to Japan. I think. And we, we all need to get reacquainted, I think, with stuff. The biggest surprise was when I bit into a burger in Japan and it, and it meowed. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's terrible. That's terrible. That can't. is terrible. So anyway. but I was Okay, just, so moving. Just, yeah. As Charles Barkley would say, that's terrible, man. Terrible. Yeah, that's how he says it. Is that a good impression? Because go. I really don't know man, Charles Barkley. LeBron James is terrible. Yeah. That sounds like... Uh, Christopher Walken doing that guy, uh, Le- LeBron James. No, do it again. That's that's Christopher Walken. Man, doing LeBron James, he is terrible. You see, you see what for I Christopher mean? Walken, you need the weird pauses, like okay. in the weird places. In the weird places, because that's acting. No, what I was saying go. was, and I don't even remember if I got to the point, and maybe it's not important, but that you're in a position where you can very easily find this information. And to check it out because it's very important to you to go one way and not the other, but you intentionally resist going to this easily accessed information right. to find out because you don't want to know the answer if he's claiming it's revelation. And actually, he didn't just say it was revelation. I mean, he told this rather uh, interesting dramatic it. story about how the spirit of God moved on President Monson and you know, and, and he, when he spoke, it was the mind of the Lord and the will of the Lord and the everything of the Lord and everybody else was honored and privileged to sustain that. And then he may have said revelation. I mean, he goes into detail. It's almost like um, uh, the detail of a story about uh, an airplane crash. that he was in. Yeah. And the, 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 the nosedive and the spiral and the one engine exploding. It and just gets all this bigger stuff. and bigger. Yes. Which is kind of funny because that's sort of what happened with that policy of exclusion it was sort of putting the church into a nosedive after taking a direct hit to the fuselage right and at this point like again i I still really very much believe in the church i always believed the church was true and the church was good um but i'm really starting to have trouble with the good part now i'm I'm starting to see i I don't think people are necessarily happier in the church especially someone coming in from the outside uh i am not going i don't want to actively try to convert people in anymore and there are some people that i know for a fact that they will be less happy if they were to gain a testimony um so these are just kind of unsettling feelings that are just kind of simmering around for a while but yeah, I am wondering, um, you know, and, and also on the other end, like are, are Mormons really any better than other people? I used to, you know, I, I would have been one of those people that's like, I met an atheist and he was actually really nice. You know, like it's a big surprise. Like, yeah. you know, people not Mormon can, can be helpful, you know, um, like that's kind of how I was as a teenager. But at this point, I'm just like, I actually don't know that Mormons are any better uh, than anyone else. And maybe sometimes kind of worse. Maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to feel really uncomfortable about things, but again, I still have a testimony and I really want to preserve that testimony. So, um, but when well, the as, in private practice, is reversed, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So just gonna say in private practice as a lawyer, 
Uh, it turns out that uh, Mormons are like the worst at paying their bills to Mormon lawyers. Oh, <laughs> they're the worst. I'm, I'm not sorry. saying that that that's universal <laughs> because certainly it's not universally mm. the case. But as a class and as a group and as a gross generality, yeah, they're really bad at paying their bills when their lawyers are Mormon. That's interesting. I'm wondering if if they're thinking they're hoping that you'll kind of write off the rest as charity work. But there's also this kind of like inside man, like, come on, man, like, really? Yeah, give like me the guy Gene Wadabee. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't need my money, do you? <laughs> No, yeah. I mean, we have this culture. You're yeah. supposed to help each other out. You're supposed to serve. You're supposed to home teach. You're supposed to help move. Right. You're supposed to represent me in a DUI, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when the, when the policy was reversed again later, I, I was still I was still in. But that was problematic all over again because I was happy that it happened. I knew the first one was not right. But like it was so soon, I really thought it was going to be a while. So it was kind of shocking to me how quickly they flipped it. And again, especially it was just after like, claiming oh. it was revelation, did you yes. know that he had said it was revelation by the time they reversed it? Yes. And so, yeah, it just it was just really really tough to reconcile. It was. Yeah. It, I was like, why? You know, I was almost resenting like the leaders at this point. Like, why? I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to keep my faith, and uh, and you keep doing stuff like this. And also, Elder Nelson uh, or President Nelson, when he like you know kiboshed Mormon, I just was like, really, really. Is that the biggest? That's thing? what you want to do. That's you the know? biggest issue we have to deal with in the world. Yeah, yeah. and like I I remember Gordon B. Hinckley's talk back in the day, like ninety-three. You know, I think. yeah. I mean. I, Everyone loved Gordon B. Hinckley. He was a far more, he was very personable. So it, just like that kind of stuff, that's still in my memory. So for, for President Nelson to come in and just be like, no, we are not Mormons. Stop saying that. I, you know, it's just, it's just more and more where I'm just like, I kind of feel like it really seems like, it really seems like just normal men like up there. I, I don't know. Like, you know, it just it can't face seems it. like normal guys up there, like President just Nelson doing their has own had thing. this sort of, this gospel hobby, this little, Thing yeah. that he's this hobby horse that he rides and he's ridden it since 1993 and he expressed it in general conference and he got shot down in the next general conference by the president Hinckley and by he's name. just been simmering he's been biding his time until he could become president so he could enforce this edict that right. you shall not refer to the Mormon church as the Mormon church anymore right and then especially just seeing there's so many sociocultural problems going on at the time. I feel like like people were are were starting to get more emboldened to be, you know, more racist. You know, it just it's just things were happening, and I was just like, is this is this really what God's priority is? You know, with all these things happening in the world right now. Um, and the reversal was in April yeah. of 2019, I mm -hmm. believe that's correct, right? I think so. It was yeah, 15 and a half to 19. Years later. Yeah. So that's this is very close to the beginning ago. of the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's not yeah. long ago. It was 2019 that everything did eventually end up falling apart for me. So this what was, happened? you know, was it April? Because this is what's funny in. Um, 
in April of 2020, I'm not, I'm not usually a superstitious. Well, I am a superstitious person. I don't really think much about dreams, but I had a dream in April that my teeth were falling out. It was a really jarring dream. I'd never had anything like that happen before, but it was really unsettling because like, I couldn't stop it from happening. Like my teeth were falling out like faster than I could try to like put them back in. It was so weird, but apparently it's actually a really common dream. It's supposedly a stress dream, but I was like, my life is really good right now. Um, you know, I, I was making more money than I had been before. I was just a lot more settled. So I was like, I, I don't think I'm not stressed out. So why am I having a very common stress stream? But, you know, when things did fall apart, it really felt a lot like that. <laughs> like I'm losing something really important that I need that's not going to be easy to fix, you know, or and basically is impossible to and fix. And you're trying to yeah. put it back in, but I, it's not Well, working. initially, but like I couldn't, you know? And so, yeah, um, yeah, it, it really, I don't know. So I don't know if there's something to that. That's just a little random quip I threw in there. But, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's April of 2019 because if memory serves, they announced it in the week leading up to conference. I don't recall like yeah. the specific timing on that, but okay, I, I think I, but right, it was but... problematic to me at the right. time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, as we're moving forward, I, I am just starting to see more. Not just that, but also the church getting other things wrong. Not not just like the racism that they got wrong and the 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 priesthood and the temple ban, um, but a lot of sexual stuff. Just the purity culture and and uh, modesty and masturbation shaming. All of these things, I'm starting to learn and realize for the first time how unhealthy they are. So that was another thing for me was like if the church is so, you know, big on families and and this has been so important to us that like we did the whole prop eight thing. And this is what people know is even people who don't know much about Mormons will still say, well, they seem to be really big on families, you know, like mm -hmm. that's how well the church has marketed themselves that way. Um, how is it that we get this wrong? You know, how is it that we hurt so many people this way? And it's just exactly what all the evangelical and other like mainstream Christian churches do that hurt their members too. Um, I started to see problems there as well. So it just seemed like important things were being gotten wrong for a church that's supposed to be led by revelation. Um, and then, so I guess I started to get back into biblical study. I, I hadn't kept up on a lot of stuff that I had learned in Jerusalem, but I, I don't know really what happened, but I just started to key into it again. And at first I was studying, I, I, I guess also just Christian theology in general, I was starting to see some of the problems with it. But again, like I'm so scared of anti-Mormon material that I feel like this stuff is safe because it's Bible. It's not Book of Mormon, you know, and it's not Mormonism. It's just general Christianity, which we know they have tons of things wrong because of the apostasy. Right. So right. like it's safe to critique them, especially like hellfire, like literal burning and damnation. This is these are terrible things, obviously, you know, um, so I, that's how I was getting into it. But then the more I learned, the more I was learning things that also did apply to our beliefs that were extremely problematic. And so, um, so this is, I think a point of difference for me from a, a lot of people who leave the church, it did not come through anti-Mormon material because I, I would not watch it still or read it or look at it. Um, but I did end up losing my faith in God and Christianity in general. Um, and I never expected that to happen. Even in my wildest dreams, if I ever thought that I might leave the church, I still thought that I would be a Christian. Um, 
So it was kind of, I, get, I don't know, it's kind of like a backdoor. Uh, the army came in like on the side that I wasn't looking on because I, I thought that side for sure was safe, I guess. I have yeah. to I have to shore up against the anti-Mormon stuff, you know? Um, yeah, so, um, and I oddly was, I was kind of oddly okay with it for a while. I don't know if it was maybe just the shock. It just didn't like percolate. I mean, it took me a while to even admit that I, like, I, I'm not really sure that I believe in God anymore and the, you know, all of this stuff. And so, um, um but I, I guess my initial reaction was just like, well, obviously the church has to not be true if that's the case. If if all of Christianity falls, then then so does the church. Um, but I didn't know any other details, and so I still kind of viewed it on the same plane as as all the other ones. Just, you know, this this was one more denomination that tried their best, um, and I mean they're wrong, but they're they're wrong just like everybody else is who believes this kind of a belief, you know, and they're just differing on particulars. Um, so that and I was fine with that. Um, so I just kind of lived in that space for a while. Um, but then I, I realized one day as I was, I was still watching more videos, it's still fascinating to me. I still like learning about Bible history and ancient Near Eastern history. Um, if, a, you know, if something came up that was about Mormons, because it did come up, um, you know, in these kinds of things, I would still skip it. Like, I don't want to, I, 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 I don't believe anymore but I still don't want to hear the anti-Mormon stuff. Anyway, I, I finally realized like, this is really silly. I shouldn't, I don't have to be afraid of this information anymore. Um, and yeah, I can, I can look at it. And so I did, um, I just, I just got to the point where I was like, I just want to know what's true now. And I know how to research claims. I know how to actually go to source material, you know? So I guess I had always thought before that people who fell for anti-Mormon stuff like just heard it for the first time and they were just like oh my gosh this is terrible i'm leaving the church you know that that no one ever actually looked into it you know what i mean i just i don't know i guess that was the perception that i had um so uh so i was like you know i i can be neutral and and i can look at this objectively yeah, of course i'm not going to just believe the first thing i hear about everything and i did i start looking at the claims uh, I, I started with the ces letter um but i i'm going to the sources i, I don't want to just take jeremy's word for it that that these things are there. So I start looking it up um, and it was really shocking to me. So then I actually started to deconstruct uh, the Mormonism at that point. Um, and so I, I think the things like some of the most shocking, like my found, like my testimony, a lot of it was based on the book of Mormon and the first vision and the, the restoration of the priesthood. These things were all, you know, I, I, they were just strong. And again, until the end, I think if, it, if the, if the Bible stuff hadn't happened, I, I think I would still be LDS now because I would I would not still have not looked at that stuff, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Um, well, those are the three pivotal and foundational right. events on. Mormon, oh, and the Mormon. witnesses, like the witnesses to the book of those were always really huge to me, and it, they 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 were just rock solid. Um, so to learn about spiritual sight, you know, and and all of these things, or to that the the, the priesthood res, uh, restoration was you know kind of a backdated prophecy kind of the thing. Um, everything was backdated. I, I, it just was really shocking to me that I, I didn't know that I knew that there were different first visions, but I didn't realize like the timeline of it, you know, and of course I, I, I accepted the, the really poor apologetics about the differences, but then, but when you don't have a dog in the fight anymore, when you don't have to support the Mormonism, then it's, it's just so much more clear. Just, just how obvious it is, you know? Can I just break into your story to make an observation? Yeah. I think that your story illustrates what an excellent job the church does in instilling fear in its members of looking at outside sources. Absolutely. 
I just wanted to to mention yeah. that because sometimes people who maybe haven't been member of the church and uh, it's it's not always so easy. I mean, we can find different sites from General Conference. You know, we need more Nephi and less Wi-Fi, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll find these here and there. But I think the general authorities understand they can't hit that too hard without looking like a bunch of troglodytes. And it'll be obvious what they're doing. So they try and hint at it as hard as they can. But that message comes through loud and clear to the membership generally from the leaders, both uh, the higher leaders and the local leaders, to the point where you were so scared of looking at anti-Mormon literature that even after you lost your faith in God and even in the church, you still were scared of looking at it. Yeah. Wow. It, it took me a couple of weeks before I, before I was willing to take it seriously. So, so what was your, what was the final, the final straw? Was it uh, um, joining us on Mormonism live? <laughs> um, no, I think, I guess it's hard to say like final straw for what, because I, I mean, I had already lost faith at that point. Um, I, the worst part of the CES letter for me uh, was Helen Mark Kimball actually um, was her story. And again, I went in, I, I went to read like her actual words. So there was like, you know, one sentence in the CES letter from her one or two, a little snippet, but I wanted to go read the whole thing. So I did. Um, and this, I guess, goes to like just one story from my childhood. Um, I do want to show this map. Um, let's see, let me pull it up on my slides. Um, if you, or I guess, could you put that up, Bill? Yeah, it sounds like Instead one of, of these showing. things where so here, this was extremely oh, impactful to, to me. In time, but go ahead. Sorry. You got no, yeah, no, I've got it. I, I can take care of it. Um, so, uh, so this is what happened. So, so with this map that I'm showing here, this is, this is a map of Southern Utah. And so we've got St. George is kind of like marked there. Um, that looks familiar. <laughs> so this is actually Ogden's flooring because I made a visit there for uh, something for my friend and I never like took this uh, label off. But if you go over to the east, um, there you could see Apple Valley. Um, yes. I and see then it. it's and then if you continue going along the road where Apple Valley is, um, there's Colorado City and Hilldale. That's where the FLDS compound is. That's where Warren Jeffs was. Like that's where these fundamental like polygamists are. And they were such a normal part of, of life. So I lived in Apple Valley. That's where I um that's where I lived when I was in high school and I graduated from Hurricane High. So it's spelled like hurricane for people who are not familiar with this area, but that is not how it is pronounced. So anyway, yeah, like those were my neighbors was was this next town over. And so the, the thing that stood out to me about Helen Mark Kimball was when I was 14, I did learn that Joseph Smith had a 14 year old wife. I didn't know her name. I didn't know anything about her. Um, and so you I mean, were 14 years old yourself when you learned, I this. was 14 when I learned this. Um, and so I, it, you know, again, I was a very devout teenager. I was very scrupulous. So this was something that I, I had to wrestle with and make it okay. Right. And mm -hmm. so I did. Um, but of course you, you can't help but think, you know, I, I think I'm not the only one that does this. Like, you know, if I was a pioneer, would I have been faithful? If I lived in Joseph Smith's time, you know, would I have been faithful or would I have gone you know, astray after this or after that? Um, I would think about this kind of stuff all the time because the most important thing in the whole entire world is to be faithful and end up in heaven. So you have your eternity and your salvation. So dying young, you know, being a martyr like Joseph Smith or, you know, all these losing everything like the pioneers did. I wanted to think that if I had been there, I would be one that would be faithful. So, so learning this, I, I just started to imagine like, what if 
I'm 14. What if I was asked to marry the prophet? And of course, the first yeah, I, that would never happen. So I don't have to worry about that. But I didn't let myself off the hook. I was like, well, what if it did, though? What if it did? And so I, I just wrestled with it until I, could, I felt confident that I could say I would because I trust Heavenly Father and he would never ask me to do that if it wasn't good for me. And even if I, even if it wasn't like the best existence ever, even if I wasn't really happy, like I'd be happy in eternity. And that's the most important part that the pioneers weren't always happy. You know, like being a member of the church doesn't always mean sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes it means a lot of trials. So I was like, either way, if, if I'm happy, it's because God wanted me to be happy in this life. And if not, I'll be happy in the next. That's what's most important. So I got reasoning. myself there. Yeah. yeah. So I got myself there that, and again, of course it, it didn't occur to me that if I was asked by the prophet that there was a chance that that was just a man doing it because it was just so intrinsically tied. If the prophet asked me to do something, God was asking me to do something that it was just automatic. Um, So when I read Helen's journals and the things that she said, um, I am going to get emotional. I thought it was going to be okay. Um, It was the, it was the exact same stuff. She was looking forward to like her eternal paradise. She was not happy. You know, she didn't like it. And that was something also like I had thought I, to kind of try to excuse it, um, not just at 14, but continue with when people try to throw that at you on your mission, you know, like you marry teenagers, like you just, you think oh, it was a different time. And, you know, maybe she was really mature, like God knows her better than everybody else. So how can we judge her? You know, but her words are right there. She wasn't happy. She wasn't, you know, it, it, it was coercion. And so um, it, it just hurt because I knew like, if it had been me, I would have done the same thing. It just broke my heart for her. I just, you know, and even though like, I, I really don't think that there's an afterlife. I mean, there could be, I, I haven't cared. I actually like, a lot of people really struggle with nihilism and things like that when they lose their faith. I, and when I initially lost, it, I, I didn't, I was like, I can still be happy. It's okay. You know, I was okay with like losing heaven, but like, these are the times like that I wish there could be because I wish there could be a heaven for Helen Mark Kimball because I think she deserves it, you know? And I want there to be a hell for Joseph Smith, you know, because I think that's what he deserves, you know? But those are the only times like I ever wish there was a heaven is like for people who, who really wanted that and deserved it. So, so that okay. was the hardest for me. Yeah. Yeah. But well, you're getting then, me like, too. I, yeah. Thanks, Maven. I mean, <laughs> I'm crying now, but I didn't cry then. I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was I was just really, really angry. And, and that's where things really started to change, I guess. And maybe that's where like the beginnings of Maven um, starts to happen. Um, because I, I mean, before when it was just Christianity in general, it was just like, oops, you know, it's a human thing. You know, there's billions of us that have made the same mistake, you know, Um, but learning all this stuff, just this so much deception and dishonesty and so much harm, you know, I just felt betrayed. Like that's where like the the feelings that everyone else feels, the betrayal, the grief, you just feel like an idiot, you know, but then there's also the loss and then there's the panic because I'm just, I, what, what do I tell my family? Like, I never thought this was happening. You know, what's going on. Um, So I I was angry for like a week and I didn't cry, which was weird because I am a crier, Um, you know, and people like to make fun of like the the TBMs that will like tear up at everything. And I was totally one of them. And it was sincere. I know some people can fake it, but I'm just an emotional person. So I thought it was weird that I wasn't crying. 
And I, but I, I was breaking down and I know there's a point where I was standing in my kitchen and I was looking out the window. It was a beautiful day outside. Um, and I was just thinking like, I, this is a major, major thing. My whole life has been about Mormonism. That's like my whole personality has been. Um, I, 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 I should have more of a reaction. Um, but then I started talking to myself out loud. I was like, no, I don't. Who cares? I mean, I, yeah, it's been my whole life, but like I, I can move on. Um, I'm fine. It, I thought it was true. Now I know it's not. So what? I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm saying this out loud. If anyone was there, they would, they would have known, like, I'm, I'm losing it. But I didn't feel like I was losing it. But I just kept saying it over and over and over and over and over again for a long time. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I can move on. This, I, I've changed things. I've done scary things in my life before. It's fine. I, I don't need to cry about this. This is actually really great. I'm fine. I then... <laughs> I mean, that was the the conversation for that day. Um, and then I think it was about a week after that. Um, it was actually Christmas Day. I had uh, I was working security at that time full time and I did overnight shift. So I, I had done an overnight shift and I came home. I had talked to my family. They were just getting up as I was just, you know, getting ready to go to sleep. Um, and then I don't know if it was just like being Christmas or just like thinking about like because I did not want to be with my family. I'm so sorry. I keep hitting my mic, guys. Um, I didn't want to be with my family because I wasn't it was still all really fresh for me at that point. I didn't know like if I would say anything, you know? Um, so I had volunteered to work that day, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at home and and then that just like that everything broke. And I just, I just sobbed just for hours and, you know, off and on. And and over the next few days too, like, you know, I would be fine. I'd, I'd be like, okay, I got it out of my system. Like I'm, I'm good. This is not a big deal. I, you know, I, the, the world's actually really great and everything's going to be fine. And then, you know, it would be like 30 minutes later, like just crying. Like I just couldn't help it. So it took a lot to like really finally be okay. And even then, um, even now it happens. It's been a couple of years now, but like, I, it's just so not where I ever thought I would be when I was younger. I never really thought that this would ever happen to me. Um, and I tried so hard for it not to happen to me. So, um, I, I would be like in a Reddit thread and saying something, you know, and I would just have a moment where I'm almost like pulled out of body where like, just, I'm, I'm like, look at me. I, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like I'm here. I am in an ex Mormon thread discussing, you know, an RFM podcast and, and I, you know, making fun of leaders. Like I never thought I would ever do that, you know, <laughs> or like or say things about them that are true, but doesn't it feel great? It does. Yeah. So it, I would have moments for like that where I would just be like, how did I get here? How did this happen? I like, you know, so that's, that's my deconstruction. And I, I was angry and at, at the time I was, I did think like, you know, I want to do something. I want to be outspoken. Um, but I also, there's a lot of examples, you know, from people who, you know, blew up relationships doing that. And so I decided maybe to, I decided to keep it under wraps, uh, so I had more time to process it. And I realized a lot of people do, it seems like a year seems to be like the, the roughest time. And a lot of people become okay. I don't know if, if you guys actually have more idea or data of that, but it, but it seemed like even the, in the ex Mormon Reddit, if someone did a poll, uh, a lot of people there active were in the first year of leaving the church and things dropped off really quickly after that. So I was like, I'll give it a year. Um, but it's been two years. I, I mean, I still am fascinated with the church and the history and, and I'm still surrounded by it. I'm still affected by it. Um, so yeah. So I, at this point I'm like, I, I think I want to uh, be in it and join it. I think I'm, I'm not going to be one of the leave it aloneers, you know, 
I'm, I'm not, I don't want to leave it alone. Maven, we have been going for an hour and a half now. I don't want to put a limit on you, but that's basically it. No, no, it's not quite oh, it. Okay. because here's what I would like to ask you to finish with. You have been with us under a pseudonym. It's still mm -hmm. a pseudonym Maven and also not showing your face mm -hmm. tonight for the first time on Mormonism live. You are showing your face. And I was wondering if you would share with the audience what's been going on in your personal life that accounts for this change. Um, I finally told my family, <laughs> just my immediate family. Um, and that's all. I, I, I only have two friends that are believers that even know. Um, so, yeah. Um, but it was my family I was kind of holding out for. Um, I just didn't. Um, I think we You're all know there's a point of no return, you know, and so I'm forever going to be different. And I just for a long time, I wasn't ready. But I. You can't hide yourself forever for family, you know, and so I feel like enough time has passed that um, I don't know, I still get angry a lot. So I I, I feel like I'm past the angry stage, but then something will happen that just it, it's just so unfair and it really gets to me. But um, yeah, I just, I mean, I started working with the show. I just, I want to start helping. And at some point, if you want to help, you can't be hiding anymore, you know? Um, so I, when I started helping out with the show, I, I knew that there was a, you know, a time and, and I'm kind of grateful really, because it just, it needed to happen. Um, and so it, it finally did, I, I, I guess just enough things were coming together that I was finally ready to, to do it. So. Um, I did that this Sunday. Uh, so somebody you want to know what ago. happens, right? <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Somebody's three days asking ago. here. Sorry, go why, ahead. You know, sorry, sorry. Um, may, somebody's asking how you got joined up with the show. And, and okay. people over the last year or so have volunteered to help. And I've always turned that down um, only because I, I'm always scared of giving any sort of control to uh, outside people that I don't know. And you came up to RFM and I at thrive and, um, I don't know, just something connected. Yeah. And you said, you said, I, I you said you'd love there. to help. And, <laughs> yeah. and I said, let's, uh, let's give this a try. Um, so if I were to go back a little bit, um, I, like one of the things that I've been doing for, like since deconstructing is just figuring out who I am because that was, part of the revelation, like yeah. when I really lost everything was I, I don't even know who I am. I, every decision I've ever made has been uh, revolving around the church and the doctrines of the church, um, including even jobs, because I'd actually thought that I would get married. I always planned on that. Um, and my education was never meant to be for a career. It was just to be educated, to be a better mother. Right. And so um, I, I, even as the years would continually go by, I never felt like I could pursue or start looking for a career because I, I was sure marriage was just around the corner. So it'd be a waste of time to go back to school and a waste of money, you know, to get loans that my husband would end up having to pay for, you know, and I would drop out anyway because I'm getting older. So I definitely need to start having children as soon as that marriage happens. Right. So, um, so after deconstructing, I, I just was finally in a place where I was like, I've got to figure out what I want to do. Um, and it, that still took a long time for me to figure out, but I decided I, I really do like being involved in content creation in some way. So as I, I, I think I want to get involved in film or audio, this, this, this kind of a thing. Um, and so I've been making some headway with that just in the spare time I have with the full-time job that I have. But I, um, 
you know, as I was learning, I'm listening to the show and every once in a while, Bill, you would say, you know, there'd be a problem. You'd say, if anyone knows how to how to fix this, you know, let me know. Or if anyone has a solution for this. And I just always thought there's oh, there's definitely got to be like audio visual people out there, experts experts who will call and they will help bill with this um but they, but it never happened you know and yeah, another week would go by and something would happen and, and bill you would ask again like hey if anybody knows a solution for this call in and i think because my confidence has grown so much outside of the church because i i'm my own person now one of those days i just thought you know those experts have had their chance and they're not calling in um i'm not an expert but i'm interested in this um so i'm gonna figure it out it's going to be me. So I started some preliminary research to try to figure out what I could before I approached you at Thrive. Um, and then I ended up, I, I got more information from you. I did some more and then I, I called you at work. And I, I remember the the person who answered, they were like, when I asked for you, I don't know if you get a lot of calls for people like trying to. I do. Um, <laughs> I got the sense that she was a gatekeeper, but I'm a gatekeeper. So I, I was like, I can handle this. No problem. So I just left my way. Uh, she's like, can I ask what this is in reference to? And I was like, yeah, Bill told me to call. It's about an equipment issue he has. And so she, that was enough. That was all I had to do. I just said it really confidently. And, and then I got so, you on the so phone. For all those, so then for I explained all those who, it to you. Yeah. For all those watching and listening, you just have to bluff your way through the people who answer the phones at Family Pond. There you and go. You, and then you get put through to Bill Real. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, can I just say, just real quick. <laughs> yeah. You got through and I'm glad you did. For the record, please email me at Mormon discussions, plural podcast, plural at gmail.com. Uh, don't call Sorry. me at work unless you really do have a solution for a problem, I which did. Megan had. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I presented it. Um, and it was, it was what like the, the call screener software, um, which I thought would, would figure, you know, solve the other audio issue with RFM being heard on phone calls. So, um, right. That was a long standing on. issue that we had. Yeah. You're the one who solved that Maven. Yeah. And then uh, I, I remember pitching cause I really, I really wanted to help. I, I didn't think Bill was going to go for it, but I was like, you know, if you use this program, um, you can have a live person screening and, um, you know, it, it could be anybody, but, but it should be me. I, I think I said <laughs> something like that. I just threw it out there. I, I just, I don't know. I I'm a new person now. So I, I, there's things that I just never would have ever done before. I would not have had the, the gall to not know something thoroughly, but still say like, I think I can solve your problem, you know? Um, yeah, but I just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, time i i don't want to waste any more of my life and i don't know how much longer i have you know it, it could be 30 years 40 or it could be five my number could be up next year you never know um i just don't want to waste any more time you know preparing or trying to become an expert at something first so yeah i just decided i'm gonna do it it's gonna be me so and i was right great this um, time i was just gonna say i've got so the way this is working today you Within 24 hours, you had a, a solution for me on the call-in stuff, which is a program called Call-In Studio. And the funny thing is that we still use that fist number as the original call-in number that I have to call each time to get into the studio. But usually you're screening calls. But tonight, mm -hmm. I've got an automatic screener working to do this, uh, oh. a computerized screener, right? We talked about yep. this, and you helped me figure this out. So We um, knew it was, that's why I had to pitch why you should have a live person and not use the automatic screener. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, too, I just want to stop for a moment here and just say – we brought you on board really to manage all this stuff behind the scenes, to, to handle screening calls, 
to put slides up on the screen when it was the right moment. So I didn't have to have my one track mind doing two things at once. And maybe I could be a little more focused on the uh, things that RFM is inserting into the conversation that have to do with Shakespeare and uh, funny movie lines and other things. And so now I've got a little more time. I'm actually catching a few more of those, but what I didn't, what I wasn't ready for Maven is that you are articulate. You are witty. You are, uh, you speak like your mind works really quickly. You're powerful. You basically chose what things you were going to talk about tonight. And RFM and I basically just sat by and, and listened to what you thought was important about your story. Oh, I had a lot. RFM was helping me. Yeah. Yeah. But it was your story. But yeah. And you let it. And, uh, people really resonate have resonated with you generally and they really resonated with your story tonight. And uh, I couldn't be happier to, to have you uh, as a help to this show, but more than that, as a powerful female voice that has been lacking from Mormonism live. And so I really appreciate what you add to our program and uh, you really are one of the team at this point. So thank you for, for taking the chance to reach out and to see if it would work and, uh, thanks for doing all that you do. I think that that was my favorite thing about doing the modding and things. It was just seeing how much more fun it seemed like you and RFM were having, you know, with you being able to concentrate. I, I, yeah. That was something that made me feel really good at the end of episodes, like when the banter was, good, especially the Bigfoot one. Like that was really fun. The, the chats were like, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Dear, dear Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so this is the Victory for Satan segment of the show where callers call uh, 662 and then Mormons with an S on the end. Uh, it also Thank has you for that comment, the, Dan. Yeah, it's a mark of the beast in there. Yeah, I, I put that up there for a while. Um, uh, all right. So with that, I I have a Irwin... Magrin, maybe? Uh, let's see if this works. Uh, are you on the line, my friend? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? We can. So you're on Mormonism Live with Maven and uh, myself and RFM. What's on your mind tonight, my friend? Well, um, it, it's the first time I actually watched the live show. Uh, I, I was planning to go to, to bed because they're in France like uh, almost 4 a.m. But then I was like, unmasking of Mavis, I was like, oh, I'm not going to miss that. No way I'm watching the replay. Uh, and just wanted to, you know, say hi to you guys and give a huge shout out to Maven. Great to finally uh, see you. I've been hearing your voice for a while now. So, and your, your story about deconstructing your face is a bit uh, what led me to uh, to uh, RFM uh, and to all other uh, ex-Mormons uh, YouTube channels. Uh, and it's really, uh, it's really nice to, to, to find out like a community of people that go through the same kind of faith crisis, even if yes. mine happened 10 years after the fact that I basically left the church. I was inactive for 10 years before I, I got through the, the CS letter and all of that. And it, it created a faith crisis that I didn't know I had. Right. For, for a faith that I that I lost years ago, like for Christianity or for just God altogether, uh, and it's and strange how that, that can happen. Yeah, and anger and stuff like that. It's, and I think you guys, I mean, uh, the those um, videos and uh, stories really help you know learn more stuff about the the church and how it actually happened and 
but just to get through it all together. I agree. Mm. I, I think the podcasts in the communities were incredibly helpful to me in deconstructing. And I think the best part of the community is helping each other out in a really tough time. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you, Colin. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's basically it. <laughs> Thank what you, time Colin. did you say it was for you? Sorry. Uh, like 4 a.m.? Right now, 4 a.m. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Erwin. Perfect. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, too. Another cool thing is this idea of community, right? When people leave a high-demand fundamentalist religion, they really do lose something, and they're trying to figure out how to find some of it again. And I got to say, one of the things I've really been thrilled with and I was kind of worried about, and there's been little hiccups here or there, but generally super small, is the folks who participate in these, it's over in that direction, the people who participate in these in these, uh, these chats as we're doing the episode, to me, it's, it's amazing uh, to get hundreds of people who are commenting and putting, and there's certain people who show up every week and they've got their own personality and they make the show so much more funny. I, I'm just... I couldn't be more tickled with the way things are going and uh, Maven, you're a huge part of that. Thank you. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Anything, I don't have any other callers up on the screen yet. If anybody wants to call, give it a shot. 662 Mormons or 662 667, the mark of the beast, triple six and add another seven on the end just for good luck and uh, <laughs> come on into the show and uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, we'll hang around another minute or two here and see if another call or two comes in. Um, yeah, so everybody knows when I'm doing this podcast, I do not have access to seeing the live chat. All I can see are the comments that Bill or Maven throw up on the screen. And half the time, I'm trying not to pay too much attention to those because they can distract me and sometimes crack me up in an inopportune moment. Uh, but I do come religiously to the underground bunker the morning after on Thursday morning, bright and early, and I spend half an hour to an hour reading through the live chat and it is obvious that there is a great tailgate party going on in the live chat every wednesday evening you better get up an extra hour early rfm i'm going to tell you point blank the right. comments came in faster and all through the show than i've ever seen for any other episode so um i wonder what the reason for that could be bill <laughs> i wonder set the alarm early my friend it's the porn shoulders yeah. there's, <laughs> a, there's a peak in the thumbnail Oh my gosh! You know, I, I didn't even notice it's that until you pointed it out. The pattern of the shirt, but yeah, it's I'm I'm showing the uh, the porn shoulders, and they're porn nice. shoulders because there's enough fabric, you know, to actually be a shirt. Um, if I was wearing a bathing suit, they would be okay. So, sorry, <laughs> right. gentlemen. <laughs> okay, we do, be have okay. A, we do have a oh, few more call? callers. Okay. So here is, I believe, Sarah. Sarah, you are on Mormonism Live with uh, Maven. RFM and myself, uh, any thoughts on tonight's show? Um, yeah, can you hear me? Yep, you are on the show live. All right, so Lehman, I just, uh, I related to so many parts of your story. And when you were talking about wrestling with the idea, if you would like join the church when, with Joseph during the time of Joseph Smith and doing all those things like, oh, but I would have remained faithful during this. I just had very similar thoughts growing up and thinking like, I don't think I would have joined the church. I'm so glad I was born into it. I wouldn't have joined it. And so, yeah, I just really related. Awesome. Thank you so story. much. Thank you. I absolutely thought that all the time, especially on the mission. Boy, am I so lucky. 
It's because we were really righteous, of course, in the pre-existence. <laughs> All right. Yes, thank you for that, Sarah. And by the way, it may shock you, Maven and Sarah, to know that as a male member of the LDS Church, I never gave that a thought. Yeah. I never you thought extra of- righteous? No, I no, I or, never thought about it from the woman's perspective, or hmm. God forbid, from the girls, the fourteen-year-old girls' perspective. All I thought about was having more wives than one, and whether I would be willing to do that. But that seems like a very small thing compared to what the women experienced. Now that I hear your perspective, yeah, yeah, hmm. I I didn't go into this either, but but with Helen and. When you learn all the details, um, it's just really obvious that that no loving God would ever or could ever have asked that. It, it's it's completely incompatible. So, and that's a sore point with me now I, with apologists, um, especially the ones that try to defend it. The ones that I think it was a fair's rebuttal. I, they take words from Helen Mark Kimball's journal uh, for eternity alone to try to make it sound like it's an eternity ceiling, and you know that there was no. Thank no you, funny thank business. Yeah. Right. Um, but that if you read her poem, she's saying for eternity alone, as in I, I am doing this for my eternal, my happiness, the, the salvation that's been promised to me that I think God will give me after for that reason alone, for that happiness that I think I'm going to get when I die. That is why, you know, I'm doing this. Um, whatever apologist put that actually, no, it was, I think it was in the, um, the, the essays that the apologist did that. I, I don't know. Who, I mean, obviously they're anonymous, so we don't know who did that, but I, I have a special place of, I know, hatred in my heart for whoever did that, knowing what they were doing. They had to do it deliberately. It was coercive. Yeah. There seems right. something especially cynical about taking something like that from the journal of Helen Mark Kimball mm-hmm. and then using it in order to try and argue a theological point that there was no sex between them because it wasn't, uh, for time, but only for eternity. Right. Yeah. It's just the right yeah. words. So I'm sure they felt like they just found their, their, their diamond piece right here that makes it all okay. Right. But they had fine. to read the rest of it. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. You can't quote a document without reading it first. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's all obfuscation guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Two more calls. Jane, you are on the line, Mormonism Live, with Maven, RFM, and myself. Uh, what's on your mind? Hey, so I'm Jane, uh, calling from Scotland. Uh, my buddy, Alana, I'm calling in her behalf too. We wanted to just jump by and say thank you so much, Maven, having another women in a podcasting space. There are so few um, people representing the women's view in the podcasting space right now we need you and you're doing such amazing work um since you started the chat and the tone in the chat you know every now and again some of the women would have to kind of say okay guys you're getting a little bit you know or you're kind of you know getting close to the line there and uh, and just the the vibe that you brought to the chat is um both respectful and so fun you know you're a ton of fun in the comments every week um and you're really really smart so to have a smart um you know woman in this space is just so exciting so uh yeah from the uk we just wanted to send our love and thanks awesome thank you thank Thank you you. sorry no i i get it i get it 
Um, all right, last. I just call. never thought I'd be anything like, I you know I just yeah. I just always wanted to be small, you know, and and just I I'm just gonna, you know, get married and and just focus on my family. Like that's my role. I you know I. I just never thought it was my place to ever like do anything public or, or be a spokesperson of any kind. And I, and I just like, I, I also had like, I, everyone deals with this. I, I don't feel smart. Or, I don't, I'm just getting a bit emotional. <laughs> it's a bit much guys. <laughs> it's okay. Maven. I just want to tell you as the patriarch of this uh, podcast, <laughs> you were prepared for such a moment as this. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, you are on the line. You're our final caller. Take us home. I can't say anything that hasn't already been said, except Maven, thank you for being the solution and never veil your face again. Yeah. Awesome. I won't. If I do get married, like I, I'm not going to have a veil <laughs> for sure. I've already decided that. I don't care. Yeah. Thank you. I don't want to hide anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, now you know the... Uh... The third team member of Mormonism Live, uh, I think we gave a good introduction to all of you so that you know now the person behind the avatar, and we probably won't see that avatar much anymore. Well, I guess that means I'm going to have to be like made up and stuff. And Nah, I don't put makeup on. Why should you? I, there you go. Just an arbitrary construct, you know? I just put a little base on powder to little bit, yeah, the, yeah. The, the shine, you know? Well, any final thoughts from you two? No, I'm just so excited. This went so well. I've been telling Maven all day today and yesterday and for every time we talk how fantastic she was going to do. And uh, she was not an easy sell. But I think that now maybe she's getting an idea for what it was that I envisioned and what it is that she actually is and accomplished tonight on the show. You were fantastic, Maven. Welcome aboard. Thank you. And thanks, everybody. Thanks in the chat. I, I'm so excited to go back and read it. You guys are great. And thanks, Bill and RFM, of course. Sure. Bill, are you muted? Yeah, yeah, I am. Hang on through the, the credits here. I actually put a new closing in, and uh, when that all gets done, we'll end the show, and then I want to talk to you for just a second, Maven. Uh, RFM, feel free to hang around, too, if you want to, or, or you can call us here in a minute, too. Is this something that's going to be broadcast? No, this won't be broadcast at all. Okay, so we get to get to the good stuff without the audience listening. You got it. Have a great night, guys.